0: I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. It's Martin Shipton here, and I am today with Julie Morgan, who is the Assembly Member for Cardiff North. Julie, um, tell me something about your political roots because I know that you joined the Labour Party at a very young age. Um, what was it that prompted you to do that?
1: Well I suppose in a way um, my family was uh, political but not in the party political sense. Uh, I, my mother um, was widowed very young um, so I lost my father when I was uh, seven years old um, so I was in a single parent household um, where you were very well you know aware of the pressures of finance of trying to cope I mean we were lucky because we had a, a nice council flat um, so we had a you know safe accommodation there but I was always aware of the insecurity that there was around finance and I think that uh, at the time the widow's earnings rule was abolished and that meant the, mother, the money that my mother was able to earn immediately shot up, and that made me really aware of um, what the power of uh, politics was and what you could do. And so I think that was a part of my, um, you know, led me into interest um, in politics. And I then started to work um, in Cardiff South and Panath as a postal vote canvasser, which. Um, was great fun, knocking on the doors and encouraging people to have postal votes. And then I got into politics and um, been there ever since. Rosettes, rosettes, all the way, ever since.
0: <laughs> I was recently reading uh, Rodri's, um, rereading reading uh, parts of Rodri's autobiography. And in that, uh, he referred to the fact that you were more of a direct action uh, kind of political person ah. than he was. Mm. Tell, uh, tell me about his influence on you and your influence on him?
1: Yes, I mean I do um, enjoy um, and think it makes an important point um, direct action um, politics and I've been on a lot of marches and done a lot of... um, Sort of street protests um, because I think it's very important. Now Rodri was never very comfortable with uh, that sort of action and I can remember going on a big anti-Vietnam War demonstration when there's a lot of chanting and um, Rodri definitely felt quite um, uncomfortable and he did say afterwards, I think he says in the book, that he felt very uncomfortable with this, uh, with this way of doing things. So, I, he definitely didn't like that as much as I, th- I thought it played an important role. And I still do. And I think he thought he played an important role, but it wasn't something he was comfortable in doing. Uh, So I don't think I really influenced him uh, that much in in (laughs) taking part in direct action. Uh, But, um, I mean, I've always um, worked very closely with um, uh, sort of underrepresented groups of people. For example, I've done a lot of work with Gypsies and Travellers. And um, Rodri, um, you know, sort of joined in all those sort of um, activities um, with me and I know that uh, I think uh, we were fairly equal, really. I think we influenced each other um, in the different ways. I mean, he had um, this huge knowledge of Wales um, because he traveled so much uh, around Wales. And he had a depth of knowledge of Wales that um, I don't feel I've got, but I'd like to get. And uh, in many ways, we did complement each other, I think, uh, um, because although I'm sort of a bit of a generalist, I'm interested in everything. I mean. I suppose I've done a lot of work on uh, things to do with children and um, uh, social services, the health service, those sort of issues. And although Rodney was really interested in those, and his um, campaigning for children's rights as First Minister was, uh, you know, one of the signature things of his time um, in office. I don't. Um, uh, I think you know he was so interested in the economy and in uh, attracting. Um, Inward investment and all these growing up uh, local Welsh businesses he was fascinated by all that sort of uh, work so we we had sort of complementary interests.
0: Of course before you became um, an elected politician or an MP you had been a councillor for quite yes, a few years yes, yeah. but you had a career uh, yeah. before you were involved as an elected politician yeah. mm. tell us a bit about that.
1: Um, yes, I was a social worker. Um, I was First of all, I was a social worker, a hospital social worker, where it was sort of groundbreaking heart surgery, and I worked with the families and with the children. It was a fantastic job. I mean, you really saw the health service at its best with uh, the hospital I worked in, which is closed now, Sully Hospital. The patient was at the centre of everything, and I think I learned so much in that first job about how you must work with patient patients you know the patient is so important and that the everything you do must be around the patient and I learned so much uh, from that so that was very um, very important to, to me and then I worked in Ely for many years um, worked in Ely on child protection issues so I was really aware of the struggles that families have and it's such a privilege I think to listen to families um, telling you about their lives and telling you about things that they quite often may n- never have told anybody else a bit like being an AM or an MP, in fact, so, listening to people and hearing what, um, what, they are, um, what their, their sort of troubles are. And then I set up the first um, family placement scheme in Wales to take uh, troubled, uh, troubled teenagers, really, try to stop them going into uh, custody. ...and set up family placements... ...and I did that in Swansea... ...so that was a, a great a great experience... ...because again we met some wonderful people... ...who took these um, mainly young men... ...into their homes... ...and tried to help them... ...and try to avoid them going into custody... ...and get them through that difficult time... ...before they'd mature and become adults... Um, ...and so that was um, a great job as well... ...and then I went to the voluntary sector... ...and I went to the voluntary sector... ...because um, it was sort of difficult... ...being a counsellor and working in a local authority... Um, I mean I'm very deeply committed to the public service um, but I think the voluntary sector too has, a, has an important place, part to play. So I then worked in Barnardo's, so I was a deputy director in Barnardo's in Wales and again had great opportunities to, uh, to set up projects, work, working with people with uh, learning disabilities, children with learning disabilities, respite care projects, um, a multicultural resource centre in Cardiff, setting up all these sort of new projects. Um, And that job gave me the opportunity of developing all the sort of things I was interested in and able to, um, I mean it was a great organisation to work for because you had a free hand to experiment and try to find out new ways of working to help people um, without having these sort of statutory responsibilities that you have in the local authorities. So that was great, but um, after so many years um, in social work and after so many years in working with individuals and small projects, I really felt that I wanted to be in a position where I could influence things on a much wider scale. So it was my experience with um, with with uh, families and children, and my home background of seeing um, the uh, you know the struggles that you have as an individual that made me think um, I want to go do something that's um, got much wider consequences and that led me into um, politics
0: We've well, just given uh, what is uh, in fact a very good answer to um, another question that I was going to put to you which is really drawing on uh, the the kind of narrative uh, from a, a sort of anti-politics perspective which we often get these days which is that politicians are uh, divorced from ordinary people they exist in some kind of political ivory tower in a Westminster bubble, in a Cardiff Bay bubble and don't really understand the problems that ordinary people have do you think that that is a grotesque distortion of reality?
1: Well, all politicians... Two surgeries and you see all the problems that people are experiencing and I know there is this sort of anti-politics feel but you don't feel it, I certainly don't feel it as an individual knocking on doors people are always very glad to see you, um, from what I can see, so I think it's a bit of a myth that anti-politics is so wide as it is, and certainly it's different when you talk about your individual elected representative, your AM or your MP or your councillor, because usually there's very strong bonds that can be formed. But I do think it is very important that you do um, get out into the community and that you're aware of all the issues, and and that you look at ways of creating answers to the issues um, that are there. you know, I'm just thinking of examples in my own constituency when we, um, we, had a, we had a meeting particularly aimed at older people to see what were their concerns. And I was expecting health service, transport, or these sort of issues. And what it was, that they wanted more opportunities to exercise and they wanted to dance. And so I was able to help uh, Rubik and Dance, actually, to set up a class for older people in my area. And I think that's an important thing for... Um, politicians to do is to be creative and think of and enable people to have their you know to be able to express themselves so I've helped set up the community garden for example and I think these are the sort of things that elected politicians are a unique place to do as well as dealing with the problems and struggling with the bureaucracy that you often have to fight against to get fair play for your constituents you've also a unique opportunity to see what are the things that you can use um, the fact that you're in this position and you can mobilise communities to take things forward. So I think, um, I think uh, most politicians are in touch with, uh, with their communities and that's one of the best bits of the job.
0: Now, you've been a politician at three separate levels. Mm -hmm. You started Mm -hmm. off as a councillor. You became an MP in 97. Mm -hmm. You lost your seat uh, very narrowly in 2010. Mm -hmm. But then a year later, you bounced back as uh, the Assembly Mm -hmm. member for the constituency Mm -hmm. that you'd represented for quite a lot of years. Mm -hmm. Where would you say that power resides
1: well whenever um, you think you've got power it's always somewhere else <laughs> I would say you always feel that um, you um, uh, you're never quite never quite there, I mean that's my feeling as a politician that you always have this feeling that uh, it's always um, somewhere else so that's why I think it's very important when you are in a position where you can affect change that you use it to the absolute maximum of your ability because it is a unique position that you're in and that it's It's the time to do all you possibly can because you don't know when you'll be there again. So I've always been very keen on trying to do as much in terms of legislation and much of of community development to absolutely go flat out in all the different positions I've been in to try to uh, improve things for... You know for people generally and those different levels i mean there's so much you can achieve at all those different levels because i was a councillor in um uh, ward and that was one of the great times um, a really diverse community and uh, uh, one of the most densely populated area in the whole of uh, wales and i was able to create three little small parks there to have a bit of green in the um, a lung, a bit of a green lung in the, in the city. And I can still see those little parks now. And I think, oh, that was, you know, I'm you know, there was a an ideal behind it, but there's also a practical consequence in terms of seeing exactly what um, uh, what had been achieved. So you could do that sort of thing at that level. And then at the Westminster level, I mean, I had the huge luck of having three private members' uh, bills, one of which became law. Um, what was that? The one that became law was... Um, Uh, making it not possible for under 18s to use sunbeds which uh, was a big issue at the time and several young girls in South Wales had been badly burnt and that was fantastic and that was made law the last day of the last Labour government um, and that was that. that. Um, And then Uh, smoking in public places, no smoking in public places. I had the first sort of uh, move towards that in Westminster. I mean, that ran out of time, but it set the scene for us to go on, so I feel I played my role there.
0: I remember hearing you uh, having a bit of a... An argument with David Hockney, oh, the yes. artist oh, on the radio. Oh my gosh, that was
1: on Radio that. 4 with John Hockney. It was, yes. yes. From and the Brighton Conference.
0: From the Brighton Conference, and yes. he was accusing you of killing Bohemia or something exactly, like that, wasn't he? Yes, yes. How did you yes. uh, react to yes. that?
1: Well, um, I think um, I was quite taken aback um, by the hostility in his tone because it was very. Um, very challenging and I think John Humphreys was quite taken aback as well uh, but oh, it was quite, uh, quite good fun all of these things I think it adds interest, uh, in, add interest to life and you know, And he's a great artist um, I pity about his views but he's a great, <laughs> a great artist and who, who knows he may have come round now because so many people have come round to uh, accept that um, you know, you can smoke whatever you like but not where you affect other people you know? I think
0: I heard of an interview with him much more recently and he was talking about uh, uh, of course, he lives in California, yes, and he was talking right. about going down to buy his uh, marijuana on a regular oh, basis. Right. So I doubt that his views have changed in that respect. No, but of course, it's legal over there.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Where do you stand on the uh, drugs issue, actually, um, uh, Julie?
1: Well, I just um, voted for the medical use of um, of cannabis, and so I, I mean, I think that's I think that's you know that's absolutely essential. I absolutely agree with that.
0: What about the recreational use?
1: Um, the recreational use. Well, I do think that um, there are sort of split views about it. Really, um, I think that uh, I know that the police feel that a lot of time is spent pursuing um, this, which may be less dangerous than um, uh, w- which may be less dangerous than alcohol, for example, mm. which is legal. So, I think there is that um, debate um, to be had. But I, I mean, I don't really want to do anything that would discourage, that would encourage people to take it take it up. So um, I would say that probably I don't support um, uh, legalising it um, at this point. But I, th- I think it's something definitely to be looked into more.
0: Now um, let's talk about the uh, the difference between Westminster. And the National Mm. Assembly in terms of the way in which those bodies function because they are quite different aren't they?
1: Oh completely different Um, I mean Westminster obviously has got the whole of history there behind it and it, uh, the history weighs on you as you walk round, I think you go down Westminster Hall and you feel those centuries uh, behind you and still a lot of the uh, traditions um, remain it's becoming much more modern um, and I think it's modernised probably an awful lot more since, the, since I was uh, there last but while I was there, the traditions were still very strong and we, particularly the women who arrived there, were trying to break them down, you know for example trying to get uh, more... Uh, Uh, more family-friendly times of uh, having the hours i mean that was very important and uh, trying to get a crash and all these sort of things we tried for years but those have generally materialized now not completely and not totally satisfactorily but they have um, improved enormously Uh, but it was much more um, uh, much more cut and thrust i think there's a lot more um uh, hostility on the floor of the chamber. There was certainly than at the assembly. I mean, the assembly is a modern democracy, starting off from fresh with the uh, circular uh, chamber. So that makes it much more difficult to be um, to be attacking to your uh, to your um, your opponents. Uh, a lot more women in the Assembly, obviously at one point fifty-fifty. Now I think it's about 43%, which is obviously much higher than Westminster, although things have improved there. And I think if you've got a mixture of uh, women and men, it makes for much uh, better debate. I think it is, uh, it is much better um, in of that course, respect. Mm.
0: Going back uh, to the period before the Assembly uh, was... Um, brought about, and at a time when there was a debate within the Labour Party about uh, the selection of candidates, you were very much in the forefront of the campaign to get what uh, amounted to uh, the twinning of constituencies to ensure that uh, the Labour Party was offering at their first election in 1999 an equal number of um, male and female candidates. Do you think that that has um, been a success? and? Are there further steps that need to be taken now?
1: I think it has. um, uh, I think it definitely has been a success because uh, Labour has done the heavy lifting on the gender representation in the Assembly and it's because we had that first um, pairing in the constituencies that actually we have always had a pretty um, good record in the Assembly. It's been mainly Labour's achievements that have done that but it's great now that we... Uh, the other parties are trying to do the same, and so and I welcome every party trying to get um, an equal balance. Um, so yes, I think it's I think it set the tone of the assembly and seeing women in. Uh Cabinet positions has been very important, great role models for the young women of Wales. So I think I think it was well worth a very difficult struggle to get that uh, twinning. And it, ha- it was a struggle by women and men who were determined for equality. And I think it was absolutely right. I mean, I think what probably, um, what we didn't anticipate was that you had to keep on doing things like that. I think um, we probably thought at the time that once you got that, uh, a good uh, gender balance and um, that it would be okay to uh, leave, uh, leave it like um, uh, that. And it would naturally follow that you'd get equal men and women, roughly. But it didn't happen, and it didn't happen in Westminster either. So it's meant that we've had to take further measures, like all-women shortlists, and to make sure that we do keep a good Balance, and we have managed to do it in the Labour Party, but not as good as it started, where we had a lot more women than men. Uh, so I think no, I think it's been been a success, uh, definitely. And there's a lot more to do.
0: Now, the panel uh, that uh, recently reported, chaired by Laura McAllister, yeah, yeah. was coming up with some mechanism where it wouldn't simply be political parties mm. that uh, were expected to to um, to have changes in their mechanisms mm. for selecting candidates that mm. would enable women to come forward, but it's actually being proposed that there should be some change to the law in relation to candidacy at elections. Um, do you think that it's appropriate that the uh, that, that there should be legislation in relation to that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes, I tried to introduce that in Westminster, uh, but the mood was not to accept it. And so what we did in Westminster was to enable the political parties to have the um, power to take positive action, which led to Labour's all-women shortlists and other, other mechanisms. So this is something I've supported for a long time. So I'm thoroughly behind uh, that recommendation, because it ensures that you will get some parity. And, I, and the, in the other way, you're dependent on the political parties taking action, and you may not always have the will of the political party so I think if you've got um, you'd have to have a tooth as the assembly to accept a, a sort of change like that but no I'd be completely behind it and I think it makes much better decision making I think it's uh, good for um, you know for the public to be represented by people who are like them and mixture of men and women so yeah no I'm completely behind that.
0: Isn't Welsh Labour kicking the whole thing into the long grass by having a long consultation process?
1: Well, it's obviously important that um, we do consult and I don't think that um, we've actually come up with our views uh, yet. I think they're going to be discussed um, at the uh, conference which we're having in April um, and it's very important that uh, we do consult. Um, I personally am very supportive to a lot of the proposals and I think that um, it's a good report. I think it's um, you know well thought out and I'm looking forward to a lot more discussion about it.
0: Would you like to see the changes in place for the next Assembly election in 2021?
1: I'd certainly like to see some of them. I think it'd be quite difficult to get some of them into place in that time scale. But one thing that I'm very keen on is having 16 and 17-year-olds vote. That was another private members' bill I had in 2008 in Westminster. So I've been uh, campaigning for 16 and 17-year-olds to have votes for a long time. And that private members' bill actually um, uh, fell because of lack of time. But it did then become Labour Party policy. So I'm so pleased that it's Labour's policy to have 16 and 17-year-olds voting. And I think that is something that um, I am very keen that we do before the next um, Assembly elections. And I think we can do it. And I think we would have the support in the Assembly to do it. So I'd like to see that done, and I'd like to see the um, gender uh, equality stuff um, brought in. I think I think there are things that could be taken out of that package that we could bring in fairly quickly. Um, and a lot of the other things would be more difficult um, to do, uh, like um, if you're going to have extra Assembly members and have the proportional way of... Um, You've got to work all that out. It's not easy to work all that out, um, but um, we certainly need more assembly members. Uh, but I think those things are more difficult, and there's more mixed views about it.
0: You're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. You mentioned your support uh, for the votes for 16 and 17-year-olds. I did notice at the time when the report was published a few weeks ago that there were some people who were being quite sniffy on social media and they were saying things like oh um they want to give uh, votes to 16 and 17 year olds and then contrast that with the fact that there is the protection about people going into sun parlors
1: yes i noticed that yes yeah. yes well, yeah. how do I you think sp- that's been attack on me
0: <laughs> it, it could be construed as such as you've been involved in both how how would you answer those people who would say that there's an inconsistency there
1: well i think it's a, that is a necessary health measure and we do lots of things to um Uh, you could say restrict people's freedom or you could say to protect them um, uh, in many different areas of life. I mean you do it when people are uh, quite elderly and you say they can't drive because their eyesight isn't good enough and that sort of thing. So it seems to me there isn't a contradiction. I think it gives a great opportunity to 16 and 17 year olds and a great opportunity for us as a population, as a people. Huge opportunity for us to... um, uh, to, you know, to use the talents of 16 and 17 year olds and, and give them hope and, and make them feel that they're part of our society and I did a lot of, when I had the private members bill I did um, a lot of research with uh, young people and it was much less acceptable when I did it then. There was much more uh, uh, resistance, and amongst young people themselves. But I found that the young people who were really keen on it then were young people who themselves had had a hard time, who'd had to um, struggle for things, and who really could see that having the vote would be something that they would express. And of course, politicians would take much more notice of people who were able to vote, so you know, we'd have much more attention to, to young people. So I know I feel very strongly about the 16 and 17-year-olds, and I don't think it... Uh, it uh, clashes with uh, the necessary health protection.
0: Mm. Now, after he was elected in the by-election, I was speaking to Jack Sargent about the issue of younger people being Mm. involved in politics. Mm. And uh, the point he was making to me, uh, in response to a question that I put to him, having had a number of people say to me uh, from, let us describe it as the Cardiff bubble, that here you'd got uh, a young guy coming into the Assembly who hasn't got much life experience, as they perceived it, how is he going to be able to do a decent job? Now, uh, Jack Sargent's response to that was that, as a matter of fact, he has had some life experience because he was an engineering apprentice. He's also um, been to university. And that he thinks that for... Uh, an institution like the assembly to be accepted it needs to be fully inclusive which involves having uh, quite young members like him involved as well would, would you go along with that
1: absolutely I think it's uh, I think it's great we've got a young person coming in because that young person brings uh, mo- much more recent experiences of going to university for example as he has um, of, um, you know, the sort of um, culture that young people um, are in. I think it will enrich the Assembly. I think, it's a, I think it's absolutely great that we've got a young person coming in and I would hope that we might have more.
0: Now, you've got a new challenge facing you at the moment, uh, okay. Julie, because uh, as a consequence of a decision made by Welsh Labour last year, there is going to be an election for a deputy leader, and the deputy leader uh, has to be a woman, uh, and you are one of what are probably going to be two candidates who um, is going to be contesting that role. What do you think the the decision to have this uh, Um, this uh, this new role will bring to the party and then obviously you've spoken a lot already about the experience that you've had Um, what do you think that you can particularly provide uh, that will be of value
1: well I was part of the uh, campaign to get this uh, role and it's I think it's great that um, uh, Welsh Labour has decided that of the leader and deputy leader at least one must be a woman and because the first minister the leader is a man that means the deputy has to be a woman but i think it's important to make the point that it doesn't mean that you couldn't have two you could have a woman leader and a deputy woman leader at least one has to be a woman but you couldn't
0: have a a man and a deputy who is a man no No. is that fair
1: well i think when you look at history yes I mean, I think you have to take these positive actions. It's a pity that we have to do it, but inevitably, I mean, from what we've seen of, um, of history, the man in the grey suit usually gets the political appointments and the political jobs, and so it, I think it's to cred- greatly to the credit of Welsh Labour that um, they have decided that they will put this gender balance in, and the only um, place in the UK that this has happened. So that's, that's a huge, huge progress. I think it's um, absolutely great. And it's very important that we do have um, a, a top team where women are represented, for the, all the reasons we've already spoken about, encouraging uh, young people, bringing women's unique life experiences into the decisions that you make, the campaigns that you run, that you want to bring that, that experience in. And as to um, what I see that I have uh, to offer to that role, well, as you say, we've referred a bit to my experience, but I've, I, well, I'm definitely the only woman in the world who's been a councillor, an assembly member, and an MP. So I've got that um, unique, um, uh, unique, shall we say, selling point, uh, because I have experienced the um, three uh, levels of government in the UK, uh, which uh, is, is unique. Um, But I really see the focus of the job as being with the members, because we have got 27,000 members, which is um, a very large number of members, and I want to uh, uh, reach out to them, to the members and the trade unions throughout Wales, and all parts of Wales, because we need to bring Wales together. Um, and, you know, find out what they want, what they think, what being a member of the Labour Party means. Uh, we've got this, you know, great success in having all these members, which has been, you know, one of the huge successes of Labour over the recent um, years. And I want to harness that, uh, that power that those members have and work, you know, with the AMs and the MPs. And, but I think the members have got to be the focus.
0: What's your perspective on Jeremy Corbyn?
1: I think he's very um, been very successful, um, I think he's played a huge part in uh, encouraging all the members. I think this the vast numbers of membership are um, because of him, a lot of it. Um, so I think he's been very successful um, and I hope he's going to go on to be Prime Minister. The, uh, his policies are attractive to the public and I think they've hit a note. I think what, what Jeremy has done is hit a note of optimism, a note of um, hope, and a note of idealism as well. And I think all that has helped um, inspire people to join the party. And I would see my role, if I was um, the deputy leader, as trying to bring together all the different parts of the party. By that I mean people with different, you know, because all parties have diff- a range of views within them, and try to get them all to unite as one party. So I can see that as a major bit of the role.
0: Do you find it surprising that, uh, given that uh, many observers, not necessarily those who are committed to the Labour Party, would see the way that Theresa May is uh, running the government as is, is pretty shambolic, uh, that the Labour Party uh, Is only on about level pegging with the Conservatives at the moment. Uh, what do you think it will take to put Labour uh, into as big a lead as uh, it had before the ninety-seven election, for example?
1: Well, I think it's quite difficult to speculate on leads. If you look back to the last election, Theresa May was 20% ahead at the beginning of a six-week campaign. And then what was the actual result? She lost um, lost her majority. So... I, would if, I think if we went into an election now that we would, uh, we would be, the momentum would come and we would win and we would move ahead and win. And you've only got to look back at the last general election to see that there is uh, no point really in saying, oh, only level pegging, why aren't you? I, mean, I think that's, uh, that's the sort of prophets of doom really speaking there. I think we're in every position to um, move ahead with the momentum and get there.
0: Why do you think there's so much volant- volatility uh, in the public uh, so far as political support at the moment is concerned?
1: Well, I think in Wales we have a pretty solid base that um, hasn't been that volatile, to be quite honest. I think Labour's uh, support in Wales has been, you know, has been on the whole pretty consistent. And
0: Although before the general election last year at the beginning there were a couple of opinion polls which were putting the Tories... In the lead. Yes, but what
1: happened? I mean, you know, it didn't uh, play out in the actual results.
0: No, but I've, but I've heard and spoken to quite a few politicians on yes. both sides who've said that they noted that there was a big change during the course of the campaign.
1: Mm, yes, campaigns can change things a lot, can't they? I think that's what we've learned about politics recently, that campaigns are very important and... I know that you mentioned the ninety-seven election, and there had been, been that huge lead for a long, long time. And the campaign, I suppose, at the end just cemented that lead. Whereas, it, I mean, I agree, it is, has been different recently. The actual campaigns have actually changed things. Um, and so, I mean, I suppose, in a way, the traditional ways of thinking have uh, broken down a bit i mean people don't so much vote or i vote so because my father voted or my mother voted this way i mean the voting in families doesn't uh, carry on so much i mean the the rise of the third parties i mean there've been more parties to uh, you know to vote for um, although obviously Again, certainly in terms of um, UKIP, for example, short-lived. It appears that uh, that you know that that support seems to be dying away. And it's going back to a more traditional uh, system. Uh, so I think it is probably just the change in uh, in the way of thinking about uh, of thinking about politics.
0: One of the biggest issues at the moment and it's dominating politics really uh, is uh, that of Brexit mm. and. Um, Uh, While Carwin-Jones has been very clear about wanting uh, the UK and obviously Wales to remain Mm. in the single market or he uses the term unfettered access doesn't he Mm. uh, to the single market and in the customs union there's a much more equivocal approach uh, in the uh, Westminster Labour Mm. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn um, has been to a degree sitting on the fence over the issue would you agree with that?
1: Um, I think things have been pro- progressing in uh, Westminster. Uh, I think Carwin um, has been quite uh, clear in what um, he thinks, and I agree with him. Um, in Westminster, I would have said it was evolving, and I think that the position that um, uh, Labour in Westminster took um, at the beginning was much more definite than it is now, and certainly now um, we hear that all options are still on the table, and that's been you know, quite clearly... Said So I think that the mood in uh, Westminster Labour is moving, and I think it's moving nearer to the position in Wales.
0: Of course, this this year really is going to be the crunch year, isn't it, for mm. um, Brexit. What would your prediction be, uh, Julie, about how things will work out?
1: I'm very nervous of predictions, I'm sure. Everybody is very nervous of, uh, of uh, predictions, but uh, the way that things are going on with the Tory party, you just wonder whether they can survive uh, because everything that you hear Theresa may say uh, say is so obviously trying to appease the uh, the group well Anna Soubri says it's 35 people who are hardliner brexiteers that everything she seems to say is to try to keep them quiet and you just wonder how long it can go on so um, my i suppose it's my my hope perhaps a bit more than my prediction is that we will end up with a general election and there will be a clear choice put to the people and my prediction in those circumstances would be that uh, Labour would win and Jeremy Corbyn would be Prime Minister.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Julie. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week.